0: Well, let me just once again welcome our guests. If you are new to fellowship, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We've been blessed as a church to have uh, many uh, new people here with us uh, each week. And so we're, we're grateful. If that's you, welcome. We're glad you're here. And we just hope and pray that you are blessed by being a part of our worship service today. I uh, wanted to quickly mention uh, something that uh, Pastor Nick mentioned earlier, the uh, groundbreaking next Sunday. Uh, we, are, uh, we have that planned as part of our service next week where we will leave uh, towards the end of the service, uh, go out uh, and have a small uh, groundbreaking uh, ceremony um, just to give thanks to God and to continue to give all of this project before God. And um, so I want to invite you to come and be a part of that. We'll also, we're also planning to have that uh, simulcasted in here. So for those who can't leave, you will be able to remain in here and still participate or at least be part of it. And we're also continuing to pray and hope for the project to be, uh, to be started very soon. Uh, so uh, if you could be praying along uh, with us. Uh, that that will happen uh, shortly uh, after, uh, sometime after we do the uh, groundbreaking. But we are hoping and praying for that to begin soon as well. So can, we've, can, we've started this in faith, and we're just continuing to go uh, forward in faith together. So we want to just continue to bring all of that before the Lord. Now as we, as we continue to move in our service, we're moving into the time of preaching and teaching the word of God. Uh, And that is something that we uh, value highly as a church. Uh, We uh, preach and teach the Bible uh, because we believe it is what God has called his church to do. Uh, And so we don't evaluate uh, the scripture in terms of how uh, the culture is changing, but we allow the scriptures to remain the authority over us. And so we submit to that even now as we continue to hear the word of God. We've been uh, been preaching a series uh, uh, called Hope in Suffering. We started that a few weeks ago, and we're going to continue in that today to bring hope to us in suffering in times of trial. And today we're going to look specifically at the warning of Scripture to not suffer for doing evil. But before getting to that particular Scripture, Peter he tells us in this text that we're going to look at today, he says to specifically, he says not to be surprised. Not to be surprised. And, and, and it made me just think about this idea of surprises because I know some of us like surprises and some of us do not. And keeping a surprise is easy for some and not so easy for other people. And if I said which category are you in you 'd probably be able to say which category you 're in, but I wonder what others would say you're, what category you are in, because uh, are you someone who has you know no trouble keeping something a surprise, or are you the kind of person that is everyone knows it 's just best not knowing because if you know it 's only a matter of time before everyone else knows about it, and that 's typically how you know how it is like some people are just good at holding holding that kind of stuff in, and others, as soon as they hear it, they're just bursting, uh, wanting to let everybody else know about it. And when you think about it, what is really the best way to ruin a surprise? What is the best way to ruin a surprise? Well, the best way for a surprise to be ruined is for the person who is supposed to be surprised to know that the surprise is coming, right? That's all it takes, is they know it's coming, so it's no longer a surprise. That's really all it takes for it to be ruined is they absolutely have a feeling or know that it is coming. And today we're going to see here that Peter tells us not to be surprised, which which is interesting because he's intentionally ruining the surprise of suffering. He says don't be surprised. And then he moves to the warning of suffering, the warning of suffering for evil, which we're also going to look at. So let's pray and ask the Lord to go before us as we submit to his word. Lord God, we submit to your authority, the authority of scriptures, the revelation of your word to humanity. We thank you for giving us this revelation and we acknowledge that it is all that we need. It is sufficient for us. Help us to live that way as believers and Christians in this world. Thank you for it. And help us now for those that are here today and those who will be uh, maybe at some point listening online to be able to submit to this word of God and believe that it is the truth of God given to humanity. We thank you for it. Thank you for each person here. And we pray, Lord God, that you would speak to each person and they would know that they have heard from the living God. We know that this is possible because you've made that clear to us. We pray it in faith, in Jesus' name, amen. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter four. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'll, we'll be putting the scripture on the screen so you'll be able to follow along with us. But we're gonna be looking at verses 12 through 19. And uh, before we read them, I wanna give you some additional just background uh, on the book, uh, similar to what Pastor Tim did last week. Uh, Peter, he wrote this letter to believers uh, who, were, who, who were believers in Jesus. They were scattered throughout the, the Roman province of Asia Minor. And he referred to them often in this, in this uh, book or letter as exiles, as sojourners, living in a land that is filled with people, filled with ways that oppose the God that they serve. So Peter here is encouraging Christians, living in a place that is hostile to Christians, a place that really doesn't want godly or Christian ways in their land, and I think this is something that we can all identify with today in 2023, but yet there's encouragement here. So I want to put the, we'll read the text, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised, there it is, at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though... Something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So, lots of truth here. Lots of encouragement and hope. So we're going to break this down. Who is Peter writing to? Let's start looking, by looking at that question. Who is Peter writing to? And notice how he refers to them in verse 12. Beloved. Beloved. He is writing to the beloved people of God. That's who Peter is writing to. And he's saying that they're beloved by God and they're beloved by Peter. Peter loves them. Peter loves these Christians scattered throughout the land. He knows what it's like for them to live as Christians in a hostile land. He has experienced that himself. And so he wants these people to know that God you're loved by God and I love you as an apostle, a pastor, a teacher, a leader in the church. Now, what should they not be surprised at? So we started talking about earlier, surprises. Well, they should not be surprised by fiery trials coming upon them. Again verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Boy, we would probably really like if that when was if, right? We would be like, whew. but that's a when it comes upon you to test you. What does Peter mean by fiery trial? If I said to you, have you ever experienced a fiery trial? You might be like, I, I'm not sure. I've, I've experienced some trials. I don't know if they're fiery or not. Well, to, to understand what he means by that, because again, we believe that this book is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and that there isn't a word here that's here by mistake. Amen. Amen. First Peter chapter one explains this, I believe. So we'll look back to 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 6. In this you rejoice, we'll put it on the screen for you to see. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this is the, the this is chapter 1, Peter writing, and he kind of sets up what he's saying here in chapter 4, and, and I believe explains what a fiery trial is. A fiery trial is a trial of suffering that refines purifies, and proves the genuine nature of our faith in Christ. That's what it is. It's a a trial of suffering, and it refines, it purifies, and it proves, as we see that very clearly in chapter 1, the genuine nature of our faith in Christ. Think about that. So just as impurities are purified from gold and silver through the refining fire, right? The, the impurities are, 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 are kind of refined out through that refining fire. So what Peter's saying is he's using that metaphorically. And he's saying, so the impurities of sin... And worldliness and wickedness, they are purified from our lives as Christians. How? Through the the fiery trial of suffering. So suffering refines us, purifies us, and proves the genuineness of our faith is what he says here in 1 Peter 1. So so just take take notice cuz a couple parts here where I just want to step back from the text and have you take some truths in. This is one of those times because the Lord is purifying us, but I want you to notice the purifying doesn't happen in the miracle. It happens in the fiery trial. So take that in. We, we as Christians, we like, to, we like to believe that God is most present, it seems, in the miracle. And we're just waiting for him to be present you know, through the trial. And he'll really show up when the miracle happens. But what the scripture actually teaches us is that he is very much at work in the fiery trial. We don't have to wait for him to show up. He's there. He's working in and through that. So what does Peter say we're supposed to do when the fiery trials come upon us? What are we supposed to do? We are to rejoice. How about that? Like put that on your fridge. You know, rejoice when the fiery trial comes. You'll rip that off probably a couple times a week, right? You'll be like, I don't want to see that right now. Verse 13, but rejoice, he says, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So, we're going to break this verse down a little in a little bit. But just want you to take notice. Three times in this verse, Peter mentions the idea of rejoicing and being glad. When the fiery trial comes. Three times. I mean, so... It's hard, to, it's hard to get away from it, right? Rejoice, rejoice, and be glad. Okay, I get it. Right, Peter? I get it. How is it possible, how is it possible that we are supposed to rejoice when the fiery trial comes our way? How do we do that? I don't want to make light of trials and suffering because they're real and they're painful, How is it it possible that we are to rejoice when the fiery trials come our way? How is this kind of rejoicing and gladness possible in the midst of the refining fire? Peter gives us five ways this is possible that I want to review quickly before we move to the warning. The first way is this. We're not surprised. And we don't think it's strange when the fiery trials come. That's actually one of the ways that you are able to rejoice. Do you see that? So if you're saying, well, I want to rejoice, pastor, through these things. Well, one of the ways that Peter says to do that is don't be surprised. And don't think it's strange. So he's ruining, again, he's ruining the surprise of fiery trials. He's not keeping the surprise. He's not trying to say, surprise, you're a Christian. You didn't know this was coming. But guess what? We didn't tell you up front. But when you become a Christian, you're going to get a lot of trials. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. That's not what the scriptures do. They tell us up front. It's coming. And one of the ways that you're able to rejoice in the midst of the fiery trial is to not be surprised. See, Christians are not supposed to walk around going, you know, I really can't believe this. But I'm going through a lot of trial. Like, I, I don't understand why this is happening. What we're, what we're saying is we have an assumption that it's strange. And what Peter is saying is don't think that. Don't think it's strange. It's not strange. It's not weird. Peter is saying the way to rejoice is not to be surprised. Not to think it's strange. And if you think it strange and you are surprised, you're probably not rejoicing because you're not seeing the end of God. All you're seeing is the circumstance. So that's, that's one way. Second way, we remember that we're sharing in Christ's suffering. I told you we'd get back to this verse. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings this this scripture is what this is saying here is very very powerful and very convicting what 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 Peter's doing here is he's tying together connecting the idea of rejoicing with the understanding that you're sharing in Christ's suffering And so what he's saying is when you don't rejoice, it's probably because you don't realize you're sharing in Christ's suffering. You've disconnected the two. So rejoice in so far as you share. In other words, rejoice as much as you can understand what it means to share in Christ's suffering will be directly proportional to your capability of rejoicing. We share in Christ's suffering. We are identifying with Christ. We're experiencing what he experienced. Not in the exact same way. I'm not saying that. Not in the exact same way. But in the way of sharing in the fact that our Savior suffered. Suffered. And we share. We share in that suffering. He suffered for our sin. We suffer. And in so doing, we share again in the suffering of Christ. Third, we remember that we also share in his glory. So verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also. So the connection again is rejoicing is connected to the fact that you get that I'm sharing in what my savior has, has done. And then Peter goes, that you may also rejoice at the sharing in Christ's glory. Be glad when his glory is revealed. And this is a theme of scripture. When we share in his suffering, we share in his glory. Verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. There it is again, the idea of glory to God. So to suffer as a Christian is to glorify God in that name. What name? Well, the name of Christ. The name of being a Christian. Because he says if anyone suffers as a Christian, to suffer in that name. Well, what's a Christian? A, A follower of Christ. And then fourth, we realize that to suffer for Christ's name is a means of being blessed by God. And you're all going, I don't need any more blessing. Don't need more blessing, Pastor. 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. This one specifically here addresses the idea of being insulted for the name of Christ. To suffer for Christ's name in this way means we have been blessed that's how the scripture sees it we're blessed to have suffered for this great name so when you when you start to really internalize these truths that we're going over it makes you it really makes you wonder you start to really think in your mind it can really transform how you think and you think why why am i spending so much t- time and effort, and energy, always avoiding the difficult. When I see in scripture the blessing of, of being sustained through the difficult. To suffer for the name of Christ is a means of being blessed by God. So if I, if I said to you, have you been insulted for being a Christian? For someone finding out in your workplace or in your family And they heard you're a Christian or that you stand up for Christian principles, something related to the fact that you are a follower of Christ and you're being insulted because of that. Maybe they know that you believe the word of God to be the authority in your life and you submit to it in all things and they insult you for that. What this text is telling you is that you have been blessed. In what way? Because it doesn't feel like a blessing, right? It doesn't feel like you're being blessed when that happens. You know, family's coming after you because you're, you're standing up for what it is that you believe about, about God and Christ and his gospel. It doesn't feel like you're being blessed. But what's happening is you're identifying yourself with your Savior, because he himself was insulted, and his followers are also going to experience that, and that is, that is the blessing. The blessing is in the in the fact that we are now identifying ourselves with Christ, with our Savior in this way you 're blessed there's blessing and fifth, we realize that this blessing of suffering results in god 's greatest consolation which is the Spirit's presence resting on us. Verse 14. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. And he goes, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And this presence that's that's being described here, it's happening in a way that's unseen and unknown outside of the fiery trial. Outside of the fiery trial and the suffering. Please understand that. This is describing something that is unseen or unknown outside of the fiery trial. So there is a very unique realization of the presence of God, of the presence of the Spirit resting on us when we are going through the fiery trial. This is how Stephen was so calm when being stoned to death. We read about that, we studied that when we went through the book of Acts and, and, and the, uh, Luke told, told us that he had the face of an angel. How do you have the face of an angel when you're being stoned to death and people are hurling insults at you while they're doing it? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You read the stories of believers who have been martyred. You go through church history and you read those who were, who were alive and knew in, in, a, in a matter of seconds or minutes they weren't going to be alive anymore by what was about to happen and somehow had peace. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I want you to realize what we're learning here, what this text is saying Because many of us pray for God's presence. We pray for God's blessing. We pray for God's glory to shine through us. And what this text is telling us is that the greatest revelation of all of that is made known in us. Not through the miracle. Not through the wonder. But through the fiery trial. As we are sustained by him. And then from here, Peter gives us the warning. The warning, and this warning, this is a shift, because the warning here is not to suffer. Not to suffer. He says, yes, do not be surprised by the fiery trial, but but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a meddler. Do not suffer in this way. And he lists these out. Do not suffer as a murderer. This describes someone who murders, who would commit such acts. Do not suffer for being someone who would commit such vile acts. Don't suffer for that, Peter says. Then the next thing he lists is a thief. And this word here describes an embezzler, a pilferer. It was also used to describe the false teachers that were using their false teaching as a means of financial gain. So it seems to indicate that when you receive financial gain through some deceitful means, you would would be classified in this category. And Peter is saying, don't suffer for these kinds of things evil doer this describes someone who does evil it would be would have been understood as a criminal it would fit those who who do evil and pursue evil and peter says do not suffer for doing evil and then he lists meddler this this, this literally, if, if you break down the, the Greek in this word here that we're getting, the English word meddler, it, it, it means a person who oversees or interferes in the affairs of others. Someone who takes supervision of the affairs of others, but not necessarily with permission. They're meddling. They're, they're outside of their business and in the business of others. And, and Peter is writing this one here to Christians who, who may have a righteous intention, but nonetheless, what they're doing is they're interfering in the affairs of others. They're meddling in the affairs of others. And, and typically what you have is the meddler wants the other person to act or to do something a certain way. And usually that certain way is the way that the meddler wants you to think or act. It's a very unique word for Peter to use because you don't find it anywhere else. It, it, it's, it's very unique and he's trying to address a very uh, a certain specific uh, sin or problem that he was seeing, this meddling. And so Peter is saying, don't, don't suffer for these kinds of things. Now you think about it, why does Peter give these Christians this warning? Well, because some of them were probably Former murderers, thieves, evildoers, and meddlers. Think about the the new believers in the first century. Many of them had had criminal records. I mean, you think about what happened in Philippi, right? Paul and Silas are there. We, We we've studied this. They're in the jail. They're singing. The earthquake comes. Paul and Silas are like, well, we're all here. They're preaching the gospel to everyone in the prison. Well, what happens? Well, when they get saved, they are former criminals. And, and so this, this would have happened a lot in the early church because in the early church, these were the people who were responding and listening to the gospel. And Peter is saying, this was your old way of life. This is the old way, but it's not your new way. It's not your new way of life. And so these are all examples of suffering for the wrong reasons. wrong doing, And so what, what this text is telling us is that sometimes we can suffer for the wrong reasons. So the right reason for suffering would be for righteousness. And the wrong reason for suffering would be for doing evil. And here... In this verse, uh, 15, we're being instructed to not suffer for doing evil. What, What Peter's saying is let none of you, you can hear his heart. It's a pastoral heart. Please let none of you suffer for these kinds of things. He's almost, you know, begging them, pleading with them. Please, I don't want to see you suffer for this, for these kinds of things. Why should we not suffer in this way? Why should we not suffer in this way? Well, I listed two reasons here. It is shameful and it is not glorifying to God. Now look at verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So to suffer rightly as a Christian means that you're not ashamed. That's what verse 16 is telling us. You suffer rightly, you're not ashamed. And you glorify God in the name of Christ. But to suffer for evil means there is shame. And it is not glorifying to God. So it's the direct opposite of suffering for good. Now, we need to understand the nature of this kind of suffering. We need to understand it. So we don't misunderstand it. What is the nature of this kind of suffering, this suffering for evil? So I have a couple questions I'm going to ask and then answer, and we'll go through it so that we're not misunderstanding this. The first question is, is it condemnation? Is it condemnation? Is this kind of suffering, meaning when you're suffering for evil, are you being condemned? Well, as a Christian, as a believer, the answer is no. Because of what Romans 8 tells us, right? There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. So it's not condemnation. No. Is it punishment from God? The answer for that is also no. And you say, well, why? Well, because to be punished by God for your sin would equate to being condemned. In other words, if you and I were actually punished for our sin, do you know what that would mean? Because the scripture tells us what the punishment for sin is. Right? What is it? I mean, the wages of sin is, is death. Right? And, and so we can't handle this punishment for sin. So Christians are are relieved of of that punishment for sin through the cross, through Jesus. Jesus took that punishment. Christians, we're not punished by God for sinning. If you think that way, it might be coming from a legalistic background where that was kind of beaten down on you. God's punishing me. God's punishing me. Jesus took your punishment. We need to remember that. He took it. So you're not being punished. Jesus, thank God, in his grace, took the punishment of our sin. Every one of them, he took it. You're not being punished. Is it the consequence of sin? The answer to that is yes. Because there are consequences to sin that we face. And when we suffer for evil... We face those consequences. And then the other question that kind of leads off of this is Is God using it to discipline me? The answer to that is yes. And sometimes that discipline for us can feel like punishment. Hebrews 12, 5, my son, my daughters, my children. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastises every son whom he receives. And so this is discipline. Hebrews twelve eleven. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Rather than pleasant. The writer of Hebrews has to kind of, in case we didn't understand painful. Rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. To those who have been trained by it. Do you allow your father in heaven to train you? To bring the discipline that he's seeking to do and bring in your life? Or do you resist it? Discipline can be painful, and God will use many methods to discipline us, including the consequence of our wrongdoing or consequences of our wrongdoing. But we need to understand, we need to categorize these right, or we will, we will misunderstand the gospel. So we're talking about discipline, we're talking about consequences, we understand condemnation, we understand punishment. So the end of the matter is this. Suffer for good, for it's glorifying and pleasing to God. Do not suffer for evildoing. This, this is what we're, now we're kind of distilling everything we've, we've learned. We're distilling it to this. Okay, suffer for good, it's glorifying and pleasing. That's clear. Do not suffer for evildoing. Okay, that's clear. And maybe you're out there and you're saying, okay, pastor, but I am already suffering for evil. That's, that I've done in my life. I know it. And, and maybe your question is, is there hope for me? Is there hope for me still? And the answer is yes. There is hope for you. Do not despair. Do not despair because that's what the enemy wants. That's what Satan wants. So there is hope for you and when it comes to Jesus... There's always hope, right? When it comes to Jesus, there's always hope. And so here's the hope that I have for you today. Remember that God will graciously use all of our suffering for good, for his good, eternal, and holy purposes, all of it. So this would would include the suffering for good and the suffering for evil. He will use all of it for good. For his eternal and holy purposes. What the enemy has meant for evil. God will turn and have it bring about good. Good that he intends to bring. Sometimes that good in us is discipline. And so we're thinking, well, it doesn't, that's not the good I was talking about. It's like, no, I'm doing good. I'm bringing good here for you. Trust me. This is where we got to trust God. Even in our suffering for doing evil, God is gracious. He will use it for his good. He will use it for his holy purposes. This is how believers are able to know that in all things, right, right, we can give thanks to God in all things. We can thank God because he is sovereign over all of it. If we had a God, if the God that, we're, that this Bible was talking about was a God that was up in heaven and saying, boy, I really hope you don't do this, this, or this, because if you do those things, I can't help you. Oh, you did it. Too bad. I wish I had enough to help. That's not our God. Our God says... No matter what it is that you have done, I have provided a remedy. His name is Jesus. And you can turn to him and he will be your hope. And that is also for the believer. Because believers can live beating themselves up every day. And not receiving and trusting in the love and in the grace that our God gives. He does bring about good. We need to just trust him through that. So, in the suffering, in the sorrow, in a few minutes, we're going to be singing these lyrics. When your sinking hopes are few, hold fast to the anchor of Christ, it will never be removed. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up at this time. As we prepare to sing that, and I want to I lead us in a prayer. And I want those of you who are really sensing or thinking, you know, I, I need the grace of God. I, maybe you're, you have come in and you're thinking, I'm suffering for evil, Pastor, and I need, I need to be, I just need the grace of God to minister to me. I want to encourage you as we sing this song, let this song be a prayer from your heart. That you're singing words of of belief, not just words. And let it be a prayer from your heart to God, to trust him, to hold fast to the anchor of Christ. So let's join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you, God, that you are sovereign, that you are provident, that there isn't a situation in our life that has happened in the past, happening in the present, or will happen in the future that we can't trust you completely with and know that there's still hope in you. And so, Lord, for those who are struggling with suffering from evil, I pray that you would be their hope today, that they would find forgiveness and hope in you, restoration and transformation. Transformation. That's the, that's, that's the exhortation from Peter. But don't suffer for these things. Put that away and move on. Be who God has called you to be. Help us to declare even now from our hearts, Lord, that we want to hold fast to our anchor, the anchor that we have in Christ Thank you for who you are, Lord Jesus, for all you have done for us, for your grace, your mercy, for your life, your death, your resurrection. Thank you that you're coming back. We give you praise, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.